In the name of Allah, the most merciful and kind, you are about to listen to an audio representation of the life of the Prophet Muhammad. It does not replace a thorough studying of his life. Now, sit back and enjoy the show. Chapter 8 Abu Bakr Follow me. Jibril commanded. The Rasul, peace be upon him, complied, walking briskly behind the angel posing in the form of a man. The figure garbed in white led him to a barren patch of land outside the city. Jibril turned and kicked the ground with his heel. A spring of water sprouted out from the earth. The angel Jibril showed the Rasul how to perform wudu, ablution, before prayer. He washed his hands, face, and feet as the Rasul imitated earnestly. Good. Now, face the sanctuary and direct yourself towards Jerusalem. You pray towards Masjid Al-Aqsa. The Prophet had so many questions in his mind as he was taught the correct way to pray to Allah. But he was patient. It was his job to learn all that Allah had commanded Jibril to teach. Because the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was now the Mu'allim, the teacher, to those that accepted his message, the ones now called Muslims, Zayd, Khadija, and Ali, a man, a woman, and a child. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. The Rasul whispered as he turned his head first right, then left completing his prayer. Jibril gave a curt nod of approval. That will do. The Prophet knew what that meant. He felt a pang of longing jolt in his heart. Wait, he said. All those weeks of waiting and anticipating were still fresh. Every second he spent with the Archangel was precious. He wanted to learn more, to ask questions. But it was more than that. He felt a strange connection to Jibril. The angel was a worshipper of Allah just like him, a lover of God in a world of pagans. Why do you not visit us more? The prophet pleaded. We do not descend except by the command of your Lord. And just like that, he was gone. The spring of water dried up immediately, and the prophet was alone. And now it was his turn to teach. The man, the woman, and the child. The young boy, Ibrahim, entered the Grand Temple of Babylon. All the priests and worshippers were out in the city, celebrating the festival of their gods. He eyed each monument. These were the original idols that his father would duplicate into smaller statues. This was their last chance, for he had not come to worship them, but to destroy them. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. The Prophet whispered, concluding his prayer once again. This time, however, he was sitting in front of the sacred Kaaba. His cousin Ali was to his right, his wife Khadija behind him. He taught them everything he had learned that day. They performed their wudu in the Zamzam well at the Kaaba, circled the four corners while ignoring the grotesque idols, and prayed two sets of prayers. 
Their ritual had attracted the curiosity of onlookers, who stared and whispered behind their hands. But the Prophet and his Muslims could care less. They had guidance, light, and purpose in their prayer. The Prophet, peace be upon him, had found what he was looking for in Hira. Nephew. Abu Talib had approached the three of them apprehensively. They stood up. Nephew, what is this religion I see you practicing? Oh uncle, this is the religion of Allah, his angels, his messengers, and the religion of our father Ibrahim, the Prophet said, smiling. Now was as good a time as any to tell his uncle. Perhaps he would accept and become the next Muslim. I see. Abu Talib's eyes darted from his nephew to his son, respectfully skipping past Khadija. Abu Talib wasn't one to ever get upset at Muhammad. He loved him too much for that, but his unease was apparent. My dear nephew, who has taught you this? Allah has sent me as a messenger to mankind, and you, my uncle, most deserve that I tell you the truth and call you to guidance. You are the most worthy to respond and help me, the Rasul said. Abu Talib pulled his battered old cloak around him a little tighter. He smiled through his white beard. His eyes twinkled. Oh, Muhammad, you know I cannot leave the religion my forefathers followed. He waved his hand at a statue of the god Manaf. The Rasul's face fell slightly in disappointment. Seeing his reaction, Abu Talib added, You do as you please, nephew. By Allah, you shall not meet anything to distress you so long as I live. Ali shuffled closer to Muhammad, as though his father's answer had made him seek refuge in the Prophet. My boy, what is this religion you follow? Ali perked up. I believe in Allah, and in the Messenger of Allah, and I declare that what he says is true, and I pray to Allah with him, and I follow him. As was common with Ali, he sounded more adult than his physical age. Abu Talib nodded. He would only call you to something good, so you stick to him. He turned and hobbled off with his wooden staff clunking against the stone floor of the sanctuary. The onlookers quickly turned away, not wanting to be caught staring by someone as noble as Abu Talib. Ya Rasulullah, my father will become a Muslim, right? The truth was he wasn't sure. He hadn't started calling many to this religion of submission, this religion of Islam. So far those he had called had accepted fairly quickly, but they were his wife, cousin, and adoptive son after all. His uncle was the first, albeit polite, rejection of his invitation. What he needed was someone who could help him find those souls that were inclined to good. Those souls that were not tainted by ancestral pride, paganism, and addiction to wealth. The Rasul, peace be upon him, found exactly that person a few days later when news came to him of the arriving caravan. They got back not long ago. They've already unloaded the whole caravan. They have the sham riders with them, and I heard Abu Bakr is amongst them. Father, he's back. Hearing that name, Abu Bakr, there was not a single question in his mind about who would be next. Welcome back. Abu Good Bakr. to see you again. I'm pleased that a man like you has returned. See you in town. Thank you, thank you. It is good to be home. Abu Bakr ibn Abi Quhafa was a thin man. He had pale, white skin and sunken eyes that circled his kind pupil. He wore a solid gray robe with a matching turban. 
He smiled in a way that made him look tired, but grateful. His face was bright amongst the crowd of Meccans who had come to greet him. Good journey, Abu Bakr. Praise belongs to Allah. It was a good trip. So, when's your shop gonna open up? Very soon, friend. I am eager like you. Abu Bakr's shop was located east of the Kaaba, in the Layl market. So named because those that opened shop there stayed operating, even when it was dark. His stall was larger than others and his workers were busy unloading a camel and placing merchandise up for display. Abu Bakr stroked his face with his hands. He had a protruding forehead and a very sparse beard that lined his cheeks and didn't fully connect at his chin. He watched the inventory he collected from his trip to Roman lands get propped up for the eager customers. His business was very popular and he knew many had waited months for his return. But what he really longed for in Mecca was not more trading and selling. What he missed most of all about his home was his best and closest friend. Um, excuse me, uncle? Abu Bakr looked down at a small child, barely tall enough to reach his knees. How much is that robe over there? Abu Bakr looked at the fine silk garment the boy pointed to and back at the boy, who was covered in filth and dressed in a rag so ripped and torn that the boy could barely be considered dressed. Abu Bakr bent down and leveled himself with the boy. Why do you not bring your father here so that I may agree on a price with him? The boy's eyes watered. I... I don't have a father. He brushed the boy's cheek. Then I do not have a price, he said, and handed the garment to the boy who gave a grin that revealed many missing teeth. Thank you. Thank you so much. And they call you the master merchant. I could have sold that for 20 dinars, Abu Bakr. Hello, Ubay. So, you're not even back in Mecca for enough time to slaughter a camel, and you're already giving away your things for free. Typical Banu Tame. Every sob story gets a reaction from your clan. Then again, I suppose you have to be known for something, and with a clan like yours, I guess generosity is about the best you can do. Charity is to be shamed in your eyes? Just saying, 20 dinars is 20 dinars. Shouldn't feel bad for the little dung beetle. Anyways, how is your trip? Profitable. The Romans are worried that they'll lose the war against the Persians. So, they're in a hurry to sell what they have. Doesn't seem too profitable to me. Only one camel load? I thought you were better than that. Oh no, there are 70 camels coming with Tala. Oh. Ubay ibn Khalaf squinted viciously at Abu Bakr. He folded his burly arms and leaned against his own shop stall. His stand was covered in a hodgepodge of tiny idols, good luck charms, and cheap fabrics. Did I miss any news while I was gone? Abu Bakr said, trying to break Ubay's blatant enmity. It must have worked because his fox-like face relaxed and he smirked. Oh yeah, you need to catch up on a lot of things. Let's see. There were some good poetry battles you missed. Uh, the people of Helful Fudul keep messing up my business. Those self-righteous lame keepers never let me get a good deal. You mean cheap people? It's called the free market. I don't care if they wrote up a law and nailed it inside the Kaaba. I should be able to conduct my business however I want. Not much has changed, I see. Hmm, guess not. Uh, oh, wait! Waraka died. Waraka ibn Nawfal is dead? Abu Bakr said, his thin eyebrows raised. Yeah, shame too. I used to love going to him for dream interpretations. Oh, but that's not even the sweetest of rumors. 
Ubay gave a toothy grin, as though nothing could delight him more than knowing something Abu Bakr did not. Come here. Rumors are going around that your friend Muhammad is claiming prophecy, that he's changed his religion. Have you actually heard Muhammad say that? Well, no. But these types of rumors are usually true. I don't know his ancestors, but I think they'd be very disappointed to hear what's happened. He is Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn Abd Muttalib ibn Hashim ibn Abd Manaf ibn Qusayy ibn Kilab. All right, all right, I get it. Bakhin Bakh Abu Bakr, you know the lineage of every single person in this town. Either way, I think the rumors are true. Your friend has always been the strange type all these years, and he's only had one woman. And dry as a desert, your friend. He wouldn't drink a drop of alcohol if his mother birthed him in a bar. Abu Bakr smiled. What Ubay ibn Khalaf described as criticism was exactly why Muhammad had been his best friend his entire life. Speaking of drinking, I'm headed for the fire alleys. Ubay, it is early morning. Yeah? So what's your point? Ubay ibn Khalaf shouted back right as he turned a corner that led out of the Layl market. Abu Bakr sighed. He began rolling up some tent fabric. Mecca was his home. The home that cared a little too much about lineage and what tribe and clan you were from. Though he was middle-aged, Abu Bakr looked much older than he actually was, especially when he resigned himself to his work. He stopped what he was doing. Though the market was fairly busy, he could make out those distinct footsteps from a hundred other feet. He dropped the tent fabric and spun around. His face brightened with the most genuine smile he had in months. Muhammad. And just like that, with the sight of his best friend, the years fell off of Abu Bakr's face, and the youthful man ran to embrace his companion. Hand in hand, side by side, the childhood friends couldn't get enough of each other, they had navigated Meccan society together and grown up in the company of the other. A man from Banu Hashim and one from Banu Tain. Not that that mattered to either of them. Their friendship was deeper than tribalism. Muhammad had requested to speak with Abu Bakr outside the city. There were too many eager ears in the souks and alleys of Mecca. So this angel, Jibreel, he teaches you everything about Allah? What pleases him, what he forbids, how to worship him? Yes, the Rasul said. I believe you. The Rasul turned to look at his friend. Why would I not? Who else would Allah choose? You are a Sadiq al-Ameen, the honest, the trustworthy. They walked together up the deserted rocky mountain. In the comfort of their solitude, Abu Bakr continued. When I was a young man, my father, Abu Quhafa, took me to the Kaaba. He sat me down in front of an idol. I shall run some errands, and you worship this god until I come back, he said. So I sat there. I said to the idol, O oh my lord, I am in need of fine clothes, so clothe me. Nothing happened. O oh my lord, I am hungry, so feed me. Again, nothing happened. They continued uphill, panting slightly at the climb. I became impatient, so I picked up a stone and told the idols, I am going to throw this stone at you. If you are truly gods, you will defend yourselves. So I threw the stone, and the little statue just fell over. Smashed to pieces. The Rasul smiled as they reached the top of the hill. 
his forehead glistening with sweat. I realized then that it was all nonsense. God was not a statue. God made man, not the other way around. They walked together across the mountain, the Prophet and Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr could have called him crazy, or at the very least, politely declined like Abu Talib did, but he believed without any doubt or hesitation. They talked about Islam, the new religion of submission to Allah. So, what is upon you now? To call others to La ilaha illallah, no God except Allah, the messenger said. I can help with that. The Rasul, peace be upon him, was hoping he would say that. Abu Bakr knew the lineage and family tree of every single person in Mecca. It would be useful in finding people who might be interested in hearing the truth. Whew, this was a climb. The Rasul, peace be upon him, explained to Abu Bakr that this religion had to remain secret. They could not reach out to the wrong people or else they might get in trouble. People had been worshipping idols in Mecca for generations. They weren't going to give that up so easily. Give me three days then. I will find those who will certainly accept Islam. I shall invite them privately and bring them to you. They were now in the valleys of Ajiyad. The Rasul watched a flock of sheep climb the side of the hill, munching on thorns and weeds protruding from the rocks. It brought back memories of when the Rasul was a young shepherd himself. They were tired now, their lips and throats were dry. The young shepherd boy leading the sheep climbed over the side of the valley with a staff in one hand. He looked surprised to see two dignified men all the way out here. Oh, um, hello. The Rasul addressed him. Young man, milk one of these sheep for us so that we may quench our thirst and recover our strength. The boy was very short, black skin, and his hair fell into two long braids down his back. He was probably no older than 13. Sorry, I cannot. The sheep are not mine. I'm only responsible for looking after them. Abu Bakr gave an impressed look. That is very honest of you, nephew. Who do you work for? Aqba ibn Abi Mai. The boy looked shy. He was extremely thin. His eyes darted to the flock of sheep. The Rasul approached the boy who barely reached the Prophet's knees. What is your name? The Rasul asked. Um, Abdullah, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. He responded, as though this was the first time he was ever asked that. The Rasul, peace be upon him, said, Can you bring a sheep that has no milk? Abdullah ibn Mas'ud looked confused, but he was used to granting the requests of noblemen. He found an old goat with drooping ears, grabbed it by the back of its neck and led it towards the two men. The Prophet, peace be upon him, knelt down on one knee and put his hands on the udders of the old goat. He whispered, Bismillah, in the name of Allah. Miraculously, the udders swelled and expanded. Thin streams of white milk erupted out. Abu Bakr removed the empty water skin around his waist and opened it up. They filled the skin with fresh milk and took turns drinking. <clears throat> Abdullah's eyes were as wide as ostrich eggs. How did you do that? The Rasul passed him the skin. Abdullah drank as well clearly thirsty from his long day of work. As soon as they had quenched their thirst, the goat's udders returned as they were before, and the goat hobbled off to join the rest of the grazing flock. Oh, uncle, can you teach me these words you have just said? The Rasul gave a beautiful smile. He put his hand on the boy's chest and wiped it down to his stomach. You are an intelligent young man, he said. He turned to Abu Bakr. Three days would do. 
Three days was more than enough for a journey that may take an entire lifetime. Even after they made the trek back to the city, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud was still tracing the spot on his chest where the man with miraculous words had touched him so gently. Ibrahim walked up to one of the idols. The supposed god was eight feet tall. Food had been offered at its feet. It lay rotten and untouched. Are you hungry? Ibrahim asked. The statue remained motionless. Why do you not speak? He yelled impatiently. He had had enough. He raised his axe and struck the idol at its side. What kind of god cannot defend itself? Ibrahim swung and struck the hand of the other Faces shattered, figures toppled, and Ibrahim still swung. Sun gods, moon gods, and planet gods. All helpless Until all but one remained. Ibrahim stepped through the carnage of rubble and stood face to face with the final idol. He delicately tied the axe around the neck of the idol and left the temple. Now all he had to do was wait. You're listening to The Sound of Sira, brought to you by Islam by Touch.